Well, good afternoon, everyone. So, as John said, our subject is God's plan and me. And we read Isaiah 65 from verse 17 to 25 there, didn't we? Um, and we're, we're going to start off in this, in this chapter. Um, but to, to give a, a bit of an overview of what we're going to do today, um, there's really two parts to the title of this talk, isn't there? And for most of the talk, I'd like to focus on the latter part, on the me part, um, because why would God's plan, um, or indeed anyone's plan, why would it be of interest to anyone if it didn't affect them in some way? And so, so we're go- we're going to spend a, a the briefly we're going to start start the talk by looking at the first part of the of the title God's plan. We're going to pick out three verses. There's undoubtedly hundreds, probably thousands of verses that talk about God's plan in the Bible. But we're going to p- pick out three, which I think give a nice little summary of God's plan. But then we're going to spend the rest of the time thinking about how I, uh, that's that's you and me how we fit into uh, into God's plan. So what is God's plan? Well, it's God's plan is something that is promised throughout the Bible. It's a world which is perfect. It's a world which is free from war, from suffering, from death. Just where, if you're still in Isaiah 65, just look at a few of the verses in there. Uh, verse 19, the sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. The next verse, verse 20, tells us that there's not going to be any more death. Verse 21, no more oppression on people, on the less fortunate. That's what God's plan for the world is. It's very different to the world today, isn't it? I mean, think just think back what's happened uh, in, in the last week. Think of the, the protests against world leaders. Uh, think of over 100 people were killed in Pakistan uh, a couple of days ago, weren't they? There's political uncertainty. There's the continual crisis with migrants. And even natural um, natural problems. I, I don't know if you, if you saw the, the iceberg, which is... Um, in, which is uh, threatening a, a small village in Greenland with the, the risk of it uh, melting and causing a tsunami and sweeping away this village. It's, it's, there's, there's lots of lots of things in this world, isn't there, which cause suffering and death. And part of God's plan is to get rid of this. So the second, the second thing you might ask is, well, where is God's plan going to take place? And I think it's a, it's a common impression um, that God or, or or the Bible it it doesn't really um, it doesn't really care about the earth because heaven is where the good people go, um, but that's not what we read in the Bible. We're in Isaiah still. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter forty five. And just one verse from Isaiah forty five. This is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned it and made the earth, he founded it. But he did not create it to be in empty, but formed it to be inhabited. And that's, that's key. There's plenty of other verses in the Bible which tell us that God's plan is with the earth. Heaven is where God is, but it's the purpose which is in heaven. God's, 
the perfection which is in heaven, that's going to be brought to earth. And that's the second part of, of God's plan. He created the earth to be inhabited and he's concerned with the whole earth, with the nations inhabiting it. And God's every second of every day is controlling the direction of these nations to bring about his plan. Just think of the nation of Israel who were scattered around the world for 2,000 years and then God brought them back to the land of Israel to, as, a, as, a, as a piece of his plan falls into place. And why on earth? Uh, why, why is God's plan on earth? Well, Habakkuk 2 verse 14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters covers the sea. And Isaiah there to, Isaiah previously in our previous verse said it's firm to be inhabited, but Habakkuk builds on that that it's God created it not to be left to dis- decay or dis- destruction, but as a God who's continually caring for His creation. In fact, we had a, a talk a couple of weeks ago, which you can listen back to on one of the podcasts we've got, entitled "God Cares for His Creation," and that goes into that in a lot more detail. But the key part is that God's plan is on earth. So the third part, you might ask, um, we've looked at what God's plan is and where it is. Well, when is God's plan going to take place? And the key thing is that Jesus needs to return to the earth before God's plan can take place. And I'd like to be able to give you an answer to say exactly when, but I, I don't know. Let's go to Matthew chapter 24. And in Matthew 24, this is Jesus speaking to disciples and others. And and Jesus says in, in Matthew 24, verse 36, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So not even Jesus knows when he's going to return. God is the only person who knows. But we could read on um, in Matthew chapter uh, 24, from verse 37 down to to 44, Jesus makes it very clear that it will happen. And he gives us specific instructions about what we need to do to be ready for that time. Look at the examples he gives us, taking verse 40, for example. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. That's the key thing there. We need to keep watch. And that brings us on to the second part of, of our talk. Well, so we've, we've got God's plan there, but where do we fit into this? Now, if you, were to, if you were to read the Bible from start to finish and you were going through the Old Testament, I think one of the things you'd pick out was that it's primarily written to the Jews, the the Israelites, these are God's chosen people. And yeah, there's some truth in that. The task God gave to the Jews was showing the world God's glory. That was their task. That's why God chose a people, a people who could show others who he was and bring more to know about him. But the Jews failed in their task. They went so far as rejecting the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And so 
God's plan was opened up to non-Jews. The Bible calls calls non-Jews Gentiles. So everybody in this room here, we're Gentiles, we're, we're not Jewish people. And God's plan was opened up to non-Jews, as, as well as the Jews still. So he's opened up to everybody. And Galatians chapter 3 summarises this nicely, I think. Let's read, a, read the, last, um, the last four verses of Galatians 3, starting at verse 26. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourselves with, with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. There's a few ideas in those verses which we're not going to touch on um, in, in this talk. We don't have time to look at them. But it, it finishes off there talking about Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That's a key part of God's plan, that promises were given to Abraham that his descendants and those who believe in God would inherit the earth and live forever. And that's that's what we'll think about in our, our We'll build on that in our in in our talk to think about think about the things which are said in these verses. But the key thing is that it's open to everyone, isn't it? We can all fit into God's purpose. But to do that, I think we need to ask ourselves <coughs> another question, and that question is: What does God want me to do with my life? Or, or perhaps more generally, first. What does God expect of mankind? Well, no, no need to turn to these three verses. Um, but I'm just going to read out three, for, three verses from the Old Testament, which, uh, which give us a nice little answer, and they'll form the basis of, of the second half of our talk. Micah 6, verse 8 says, What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. Deuteronomy 10 verse 12 reads, What does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees. And finally, Ecclesiastes 12 verse 13, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. So there's a lot in these three verses there, isn't there? It talks about fearing God, and really what that means is it's to, to show respect, to show reverence to him, and to kind of to understand that he is almighty and powerful. And if you look out into the world today, I guess typically mankind doesn't follow these commandments, do they? Many people no longer believe in God, and even those who do, God perhaps isn't a big part of their lives. He's, he's gradually being forgotten and removed from society. Um, he's not taught in, in many schools anymore, is he? And I suppose it's, it's no wonder really that many acceptable human principles and morals have changed in recent years as, as people have taken God out of the equation. It's, it's really no wonder that um, the world is as it is today. But crucially, God doesn't change. 
the three verses we read there from Micah, Deuteronomy and Ecclesiastes, they're just as important today as when they were written thousands of years ago. But, so how do, we, how do we follow these commandments? What, what do we need to do? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to suggest a little, a little sequence, a few steps. Um, we've got five steps, but they kind of blur within each other. But well, let's call them the five steps that we look through to bring us closer to God and to bring us to have a chance of being part of his plan. So um, let's go first to Mark chapter 12. one verse, Mark chapter 12, verse 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. I think that's, that's crucial. That's the, that's the number one thing we need to, to, to do to become part of his plan. We need to love God. What does this mean? Well, it follows on from the three verses we looked at in the Old Testament a second ago. It means listening to him. It means finding out more about him, trying to serve him, and believing what he says in the Bible has happened, that is happening, and will happen. Things God says, past, present, and future, we've got to believe in those. And we, we need action, don't we? There, there's action required on our part. We need to worship him, to serve him, and to put him first in our lives. And not as a chore, not, not just because he says, Psalm 40 verse 8 sums this, up nice, or sums this up nicely, I think. I delight to do your will. We've got to do it with the right attitude, don't we? We can't just serve him just because we were told to, and therefore we'll tick a box and say, yes, I've served him. We've got to put our hearts into it. Don't we? We've got to show it in our lives. And that brings us on to our second, uh, second step, which follows on in, in the next verse in Mark chapter 12, verse 31. This is the Jesus saying the second commandment after love the Lord your God is love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. That's crucial, isn't it? Jesus says in, Mark 5, uh, in Matthew 5, verse 44, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's a difficult thing Jesus is describing there, but it's crucial. What did he say there at the end of verse 31? There is no commandment greater than these. These are the things we need to do to become part of God's plan. And he, he gives us a nice parable in, in Matthew chapter 25, if you come there with me. Um, he gives us a nice example in the parable of the sheep and the goats of how we, as human beings, need to behave if we want to serve God in the way that God requires of us. So this is talking about the judgment and the analogies with sheep and goats um, and uh, the analogy is, is, has, has the sheep 
being commended and the, the goats being cursed. But just going into verse 34, uh, the king says to those on his right, which are the sheep, Come, you who are blessed of my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see a stranger invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. That's talking exactly about loving your neighbour, isn't it? The, those who are commended, they, they didn't even realise on one, on one level that they were serving God because they were serving him in their good deeds. They were feeding the hungry and the thirsty. They were caring for strangers, those who were sick, those who were in prison. They were showing the love of God and of Jesus in their lives by being generous, good-willed and kind. We might call this these days being a decent human being. And you can imagine just how different the world would be if everybody practiced the principles here in this parable. The third step I'm going to suggest is that we need to believe in Jesus as the saviour of the world. Let's go to Acts chapter 4 for a couple of verses there. So Acts chapter 4, we're, we're going in after uh, Peter and John have, have healed a man. And they're trying to explain their actions to others who, who don't understand. Um, and Peter says, uh, we are going in a, a little bit out, out of context, but he's, Peter says in chapter 4, verse 12, salvation, which means being saved, is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. He's talking about the name of Jesus there. That's the only way that we can be saved, through Jesus. And this is the message which the apostles, Jesus' um, Jesus' disciples, they were trying to share with the world. And it's the same message which many Christians around the world try to share today. It's what we're trying to do in this room uh, with this talk. We're trying to share that the message that it's only through Jesus that we can have any hope of being saved. World leaders, they, they can try as hard as they, as they do to make the world a better place. But unfortunately, they are doomed to failure. It doesn't matter what they do, they, they will never succeed in making the world a perfect place. And the, the people that the apostles spoke to, they understood, it. Many, many of them understood the message that the apostles were telling them, that... They, that it was only through Jesus. And we have the, the Bible to help us to understand it too if we read and follow its instructions. And one of the instructions that the Bible gives us is that we need to repent of our sins and be baptised. 
Let's go back a couple of pages to Acts chapter 2, which is just after another speech that Peter's given to a number of people. Uh, Peter's explained a number of things from Israel's past, and at the end of it, um, the people, uh, they reply and respond to Peter and the other apostles, saying in verse 37, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replies, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. That's crucial. It's, it's not just enough to say you believe in God and Jesus. It requires action too. And the act of baptism, it doesn't have any special magical powers or anything, but it's an outward showing, a symbolic action to show that you accept that you need to change. And that you want to change. That's all. That's that's what it means. You're being submerged in water. It's a symbolic way of showing that your sins are washed away. And it's a repeated instruction throughout the New Testament. Peter and Paul they talk about it so many times. It's not an optional an optional instruction, but it's the start of a new life, following God, and Jesus. And if we were to read on in um, in Acts chapter 2 here. Let's just see what the people who were baptised, let's see what they did. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's not enough just to say you're baptised and, and that's, that'd be done with it. Look at what the, the people who were baptised did. Look at, the, look at the way they changed their lives. They lived a life dedicated to God with sincere hearts and praising God and if we go to let's go to our final reference in in Romans chapter 6 to continue this thought of leading a new life dedicated to God verse 1 of Romans 6 sort of introduces the question that Paul's asking here he says what shall we say then shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase the question Paul's asking there is, well, if, if we're baptised, is that it? Is that us done? It's not. Verse, verse 4, it, it reads, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may li live a new life. And it's those last three words, or last four words there, that I'm interested in. Living a new life. That's what is required of us. We're still human. We're still going to do wrong and we're going to fail. But what is important is how we react to that failure. Do we just accept it? Do we just keep on doing wrong? Or do we try to change? And I think if there's only one thing you remember from this talk is the, the key message it's, is that it's down to how we respond to God's message. It can't just be passive or 
lukewarm as, as one of the churches um, John writes to in, the, uh, in Revelation is described as we can't be passive or lukewarm. We need to take action. Remember God's plan that we talked about at the start? A perfect world on the earth, free from suffering and death. And it will happen when Jesus comes back. Jesus says so in the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, verse 7. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. So we need to make sure we are ready. We need to follow God's commands. We need to love God and our neighbour. We need to believe that Jesus is the saviour of the world and repent of our sins through baptism. And we need to live a life following these instructions. And the time to do that is now. <coughs>